We're going to keep moving here in our study in Romans, uh, Romans chapter number one. We're uh, in, in the, still talking in the introduction here, Romans chapter one, we're going to start reading in verse number eight, Romans one verse eight, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world, whole world, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means not at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. And again, we're still in the introduction here, uh, verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And, and again, we're in the introduction. We're still talking really about the people that are involved. Paul starts in verse 8. We looked last time. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. The first thing that he does is he prays for them. And again, we look back over in the pastoral epistles, and the first thing you do over there is you pray for people. And the issue of prayer becomes, is, is really a vital component in your life, uh, in, in the believer's life. And so then the question then is, is well, okay, what is prayer? Then? What is prayer? Because uh, when you come to understand the word rightly divided, Matthew 6 and 7 go out the window, ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be open, you know. Ask, seek, and knock, that, that word, that little acronym, ask, A-S-K, ask, seek, and knock. And all of that changes and moves. And here in Romans, if, if, actually if you look over at chapter 8, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, uh, verse number 26, uh, he, Paul, again, when we get over here, we'll, be, we'll look at some time, spend some time in these verses he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. See, you're in Romans, you're learning, you're, you're a babe in Christ, you're, you're just getting the foundations in. You're not going to understand to pray some big prayer back up to the Father. You're just not going to get that. Actually, when he says here, we know not what we ought to pray for as we ought, the context is the issue of infirmities. That's the context. It's not just praying for a sunny day or for, you know, financial fort wealth and all that good stuff that everybody, all of religion does that. So when he starts here, first thing I'm going to do for you guys is pray for you. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul prayed for everyone all the time. There was a continual prayer life that he had because what prayer does is prayer brings, prayer, prayer is the... It, was, it has been said to be the breath of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And what prayer does is prayer takes the, the doctrine off of the page that as you've put it into your inner man, takes it out of theory and thought into practicality of life. Your Christian life, Dad always said it, and I, I never understood it until I got into it, but your Christian life will never operate on the base of ignorance. 
You're to renew your mind daily, day by day. You're going to take in the Holy, you're going to take in the Word. What prayer does is come along and energizes the bunny. <laughs> prayer comes along and energizes the Word. So when he says here, I'm, I'm making mention of you guys, I'm making requests, verse 10. By the way, verse 8, he starts out by thanking God. There's the issue of thanksgiving. Then he starts in verse 9, I'm going to be praying for you always. There's over 30 times in Paul's epistles it mentions where he's praying for people. Now we have five of his specific prayers, two in Ephesians, two in Philippians, and one in Colossians, where he's going to show you what a mature saint prays for. An immature, someone growing, doesn't quite understand how to pray. They just know they ought to be saying something to the Father. Prayer is just simply that, speaking and talking to the Father, but talking to the Father about what's going on in life, the details of life, and bringing and how to take His Word and make it operate in those details. Do you follow that? Okay? So prayer, prayer becomes, it's more of a, Father, we thank you for the day. It's more of, okay, Father, how do I make this decision? How do I do this? How do I do that? How, how, what does your word say about whatever the subject matter is? Okay? And, and sometimes <laughs> they always, the, the little joke is, is they took prayer out of, out of schools except for on test day. <clears throat> Dear God, I hope I pass this test. Father, help me remember to pass the, you know, everybody's praying on test day, you know. And, and that's the joke about it, but that's usually when people begin to pray is when trouble comes. And when trouble comes in on you, the na- okay, now what do we do? Paul says, no, you're to be praying always. Even in the good moments, even in the ups, you're to be thanking the Lord. So you got Thanksgiving. Verse 9, he's praying for other people. Verse 10, he's got a request. He's going to make a petition. And in verse 10, He's also then going to go on a journey with them. So there's, some, there's like four things going on here that Paul's dealing with. And, and, and again, the, the issue here, Paul says, the first thing I'm doing is praying for you. Verse 9, I'm going to serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. The basic principle of a believer is to be able to walk in the spirit and to be led by the spirit. Now, how does, the, how does that work? Well, come over to Ephesians 5, and I really want to get down into, what did I tell you, Ephesians 5. I know we looked at some of this last time. We'll just talk a little bit here and then move on. Ephesians 5, verse 18. So get Ephesians 5, get Galatians 5, and get Colossians 3. Galatians 5. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. All right? Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, and Colossians 13. I'm, I'm sorry, Colossians 3. Okay? Look at Galatians 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say, then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't that interesting? If you're going to, Galatians 5.16, if you're walking in the Spirit, 
what's going to happen? You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Yeah, but, Rick, do, do you see a yeah, but in that verse? There is no yeah, buts. There isn't. You're either going to believe the verse and do the verse, or you're not going to believe the verse, therefore you will not do the verse. You will not, it won't operate in you. This stuff is, there is no gray matter here. This is black and white. What does that verse say? <clears throat> if you walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Drop to verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, which would be what? Walking in the Spirit, right? Ye are not under the law. So guess where the Spirit is never going to take you when you're in your walk? To the law. It won't go there. So this isn't a legalistic you yeas and nays and do's and don'ts, because he's not going to go there. But rather, what's he going to do? He's going to lead you a different direction. Now, come over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18. And be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. Hold on to Ephesians 5, run to Colossians 3, the sister verse, verse 16. What is it to walk in the Spirit? What is it to be filled with? The, everybody wants to have a Spirit-filled life. Woohoo! you know, rah, rah, rah. Shish here we go. Well, what does Colossians 3.16 say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all things. So what is it to walk in the Spirit? What is it to be filled with the Spirit? It's to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Do you see that? So if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, in my, I'm serving in the Spirit, I'm, I'm serving here, service. And I'm doing it in my spirit, that my <clears throat> motivation, my push is to do what the, the will of God is and so forth. Then what am I going to do? I'm going to go let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. Now go back to Ephesians 5. I'm going to be renewed. That's chapter 3 or chapter 4. Be renewed in the spirit of my mind. So I'm going to come along and I'm going to put the Word of God in. I'm letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now go back there to 3, 5, 16, 518. But be filled with the Spirit. Now watch verse 19, 20, and 21 gives you a, an understanding. If you want to understand, if you are living with the Spirit-filled life, these three components are going to be there. Not one out of three, all three. Okay? People, how do I know I'm walking in the Spirit? You, how do you know that? You're not going to fulfill the what? The lust of the flesh. And by the way, in Galatians 5 there, he then gives you a list of what the lust of the flesh looks like. <laughs> Duh. Can't miss it. But you know what we do? We do the yeah, but thing. You just don't know my mother-in-law. You just don't know my son-in-law. You just don't know my wife. You just don't know my husband. It doesn't, none of that. No. See? Now watch what he says. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making what? Melody in your heart unto the Lord. The first item on the list of what it, what it looks to be filled with the Spirit is to have a melody in your heart. To have harmony. To, to be at some peace. 
to have some flow. You know how it is. You know how you hear a song and it sticks in your head all day? That song never leaves. It's always there. There's a melody there. There's a harmony. There's a, a joy. Verse 20, second piece. Giving thanks always for all things. Having a heart of thanksgiving, being thankful. Isn't that interesting? Unto God and the Father of, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, here's this third piece. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now I'm looking out for other people. So I got a spring in my step. I got a heart of thanksgiving and I'm serving other people. Not being bossy. I'm just serving. See, so when Paul starts, hey, I thank my God, there's thanksgiving. Verse 9, Romans 1, 9, I'm serving with my spirit. There's service. And now he's going to say, hey, I'm thinking about you guys and I'm praying for you. But I'm praying for you for something very, that you understand something very specific here. Go back to Romans 1. Okay, you guys follow that? I mean, this, it, it always, this week was a very long week for me at work. 12-hour days every day of the week because we had a, a driver out. Um, his wife had a baby, so he was gone, all this stuff and everything. So it was a very long week. But in that, because of the phone and emails are on my phones, dealing with people on email and phones, you know, <laughs> and it's surprising to me how many people throw in the, yeah, but you don't know, to the verses. The verses don't say that. The verses are black and white. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Again, the whole world, everybody, all men ministry, this message is going out all over the world. Verse 9, for God is my witness. It's interesting, by the way, how many times you go through Paul's epistles and he says, God is my witness. God is my witness. Every time he's under attack and Paul... There's only a couple epistles where Paul doesn't spend some time defending his apostleship. All the way to the day he died, he was defending it. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Again, pray without ceasing. It's a Lamentations, Jeremiah's, Jeremiah, he says, call out unto me. Talking to the nation of Israel about prayer, pray, you know. Lamentation says you just, you're, you're just opening up your heart to the Lord. You're just praying. Those five prayers that are specifically listed in Paul's epistles, in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, advanced doctrine. This is how a mature saint was going to pray. Going to pray that you would know some things and some enlightenment and so forth and some empowerment, some stability in life in chapter 1, verse 9. You keep going, abound and abound. Chapter 4 of Philippians, that you have this opportunity to bring everything to the Lord, but you know the answer, and that is that the peace of God will keep our hearts and minds through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can pray for anything and everything. Just know what the answer is. You know what the answer is, don't you? Come on. For, uh, my, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 12. Look over there. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul has the thorn in the side of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. 
2 Corinthians 12, 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. What was Paul praying for? Well, physical healing. Physically to be relieved of the pressure. Whether it was an ailment or the people that were attacking him. Because it can be either or. He doesn't tell you what the thorn in the flesh is. Some say it's the people. Some say it's the, the physical ailment. It doesn't matter. What did he do? He went to the Lord three times to be relieved of the situation. And you know what the Lord said? He didn't say no. Okay? But rather he said something else to him. Now, the answer to your prayer is the beginning of verse number 9. And he said unto me. That's the answer to the prayer. What does the word of God say to you about whatever you're asking? In this case, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The physical, the physical situation, what did he tell Paul? In that physical situation, my grace is sufficient for you. Because when you're weak, I'm strong. Because what are you going to do? You're going to lean back on him and who you are in Christ. Let that be what propels you. So what does Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Hey, if that's the case, I'm going to enjoy the infirmities because I get more power on me. Hey, I got, this is looking better and better. That's why I told you guys we have the best healing program there is. Better than Israel's program because we have a far better situation. But the issue, the answer to prayer is, and he said unto me. One, two, three, four, five words. That's the answer. Because you're not always praying for physical help. You might be praying for someone to get saved, lost member of your family. How do they get saved? What do they have to hear? They got to hear the gospel. So you're over here pr praying for someone to get saved. What do you have to do? Get up and go give them the gospel. It doesn't mean you don't talk to the Father about it. Because you're talking to the Father. Hey, I hope, you know, my sister, brother, whoever gets saved. And the Father's sitting there going, yeah, so do I. Would be kind of cool. But what do you have to do? He's not going to send a lightning bolt over there and strike them. You have to go be the, do the work of an evangelist, he tells Timothy. You've got to get up and go over there and give them the gospel. I would sure hope my family members who are saved would come to understand right division. Well, what do you got to do? You've got to go over there and show them right division. See, we have, an we have a calling. We have a vocation. But you're over here in deep prayer and concern about, Father, what does your word say about that situation? I love to use the thing about a job. Because he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. Boy, that's strong. Okay, Father, I got a job. What am I thinking about here doing this? How do I think about my job? Well, Ephesians 6, he says, you're to do it unto the Lord. Don't do it to men pleasers. You do it to the Lord. Doesn't that help on handling the job? Oh, yeah. Hell, well, you know what? I got so-and-so at the job. They won't leave me alone. They keep bugging me. I just want to give them the right cross of fellowship. You know, to the chin. What, is he, what, do you, what does the word say? Now you take that idea and you do what with it? Boom, you run with it. It becomes real to you. 
because he says, a little patience, avenge not yourself, I'll repay, saith the Lord. I'll take care of them. But what I need you to be is who you are in Christ. Now, let's get into verse 10. <clears throat> Making requests, if by any means now at length I, have, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you. Now look at verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, watch the parenthesis, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles. The Apostle Paul wanted them to know that he's been trying to get to them. He'd been trying to come, but at, up to this point, he was unable. Now, he writes the book in Acts 20, okay, the first couple verses. So he's been trying to get there. But verse 13, the parenthesis, gives us uh, some help in understanding why he didn't get to them until he did get to them, okay? That word let, hitherto, in verse 13, that word let, you look that word up in a dictionary, it's got a bunch of different definitions to it, but one of them is hinder. Come over to chapter 15 of Romans, Romans 15. And that issue of hindrance, slowing down to retard back, you know, if you watch tennis, at any, and they do a net serve, you know, they hit the ball and it hits the net and it falls over. See, we, everybody thinks that guy's saying net, but he's not. He's saying let. Why? Because it, went, it didn't quite get, it had some interference there. It had something that held it back, but yet it still fell over. So it's let. Now watch Romans 15 and verse 22. <clears throat> For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Much hindered. Somebody's holding him back. Somebody's, somebody's got him holding him back. Won't let him go. He, he was hindered to come to him. He, he, was, he was being slowed to get to him. Verse 23, but now... But now having no place in these parts and having a great desire these, notice, many years to come unto you. In chapter 1, he said, long time, for I long, make, if by any means now at length I might, I long, I've longed to come. It, it's been years he's been wanting to get down there to Rome to see him. Whensoever, verse 24, I make, take my journey into Spain, I will come unto you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Drop down to verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. What a way to end the book. 
problem is there's another chapter where he, like three times he tries to end the book, okay? What I want you to see is where's he going? I want to get to you guys, but the first thing I got to do is go to Jerusalem. The problem is, is there's some unbelieving things down in, in Jerusalem that I got to deal with. And then on my way to Spain, which by the way, we never know if he made it to Spain or not. It's not in scripture, but he's got a plan to go to where? Spain. Well, when I go to Spain, I'm just going to stop by the boot and see you guys, okay, and spend some time with you. Be refreshed. I love the way he, he talks about being around the saints as a, as a refreshment. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see, he was hindered, though, and he, he wants to have a journey. By the way, Romans 1, it's a prosperous journey. I think that's an interesting way of saying that successful journey. 1 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 17. He, he, wanted, he was praying for a prosperous journey, but that's not the journey that he had. Okay? We'll see that here in just a second. Look at verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. But we, brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but look who hindered him. Satan hindered him. Satan did that. And what's fascinating, back in Romans 1, when he says, I wanted to come and see you guys, but I was hindered, and it took a great length of time. I would have rather been there years earlier to, to be with you guys, but I was let hitherto. I was hindered, chapter 15, verse 22 of Romans. I was held back, and the one that was holding me back was Satan. And that, that, uh, onsla uh, that onslaught of the satanic policy of evil. Come, come with me to the book of Acts. It's a very fascinating thing here, not, not to, to miss, not to just read over. He says, I want to have a prosperous journey. When you think about prosperous, you think about what? Good, well, safe, a money-making, <laughs> a prosper, okay? But Paul's not talking about it like that. He's rather talking about prosperous and just getting there. Hey, this was a good journey just getting there. And I know people use this to pray that you'll have a safe trip. And a prosperous and safe trip. Having a good time. If you're going to have a safe trip, you better have the car into the mechanic to make sure everything's working right. Okay, and the tires are aired up right. And the, why? Because, how does, again, how does God work with prayer? He works through the Word of God working in you. And by the way, he, he, there, is a, there is verses about how to take care and maintain and do some of that thing, those things. So over there in 1 Corinthians, when he talks, is this expedient? Is it putting me under bondage? Does it edify others? Okay. <laughs> there's, three, three, there's two verses in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10 that help you answer any issue that comes up in life, including the mechanics on your vehicles. Is it expedient for you to keep the maintenance up on your car? Is it in your best interest, expediency to do that? Then maybe you ought to do that. Then guess what will happen? Who knows? <laughs> maybe you won't have an accident. You never know, you know. All it takes is a pebble 
and it's all done. You know, riding a motorcycle for as long as I did it, all it took, I hated gravel, because what does it do? Makes it all, <laughs> all in trouble, unless you're on a dirt bike, and that's different. Then you love the gravel, <laughs> but you're set up a little different. Where are we? Acts 1. You got Acts 1, right? <laughs> I know where I'm at. Where are you? I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> when you come to the book of Acts, this issue of hindering and, and Satan uh, attacking, Acts chapter 1, the Lord Jesus Christ ascends up into heaven. The, the 11 apostles go pick Matthias, the 12th apostle. Chapter 2, you have the day of Pentecost fully come. They receive the Holy Ghost. Chapter 3, and, and so Peter and the boys are preaching. Chapter 3, they heal the lame man outside the temple. A, a wonderful picture of Israel being lame. The little flock lifting them up and bringing them into the temple blessings. But in chapter 3, the persecution starts. And, and things begin to kind of get heated. Chapter 4, verse 1, as, and, um, as, uh, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in holds until the next day, for it was now even time. See, the attack showed up against that little flock. And they're thrown in jail. Peter stands before the Sanhedrin, chapter 5. You have the death of, you have the issue with Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5, verse 17. By the way, Peter and them, they are let go. They're, they're released, okay? Chapter 5, verse number 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Isn't that interesting? They're on them again, aren't they? They let them go. Peter's out there preaching, doing his, doing his job, doing his, what, he was, what the Lord told him to do in that Acts period. And what happens? The policy of evil comes right up, throws him right back in jail. I love the angel, verse 19, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life, eternal life, kingdom life. So off they go. Chapter 6, you come to chapter 6, the, the uh, little flock has grown from 3,000 to 5,000 to great multitudes now. And they, have to, they have to get help. So they get help, and one of the guy's name is Stephen. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenes and the Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So much so that in 7.1, then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken. And he goes at them. And what did they end up doing with him? <coughs> they ended up killing him. And a young man, Saul, chapter 8, verse 1. And, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And what happens? Great persecution. Who's, who's, who's doing that? Satan's doing it. 
He's got his onslaught looking at him. He's nailing him. By the way, you notice he's using religious men to do it. Okay? Chapter 9. Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him of the letters to Damascus. And off he goes. He's nailing them. But what happened on the road to Damascus? The Lord interrupted that career, didn't he? Changed the program. Israel fell aside in chapter 7. Here's New Dispensation, chapter 9. Boom. Okay? So what did Satan do? Oh my goodness, now what do I do? Not at all. Look at verse 20 of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And come hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Isn't that interesting? Satan had no problem identifying that God was doing something new today. Satan immediately goes after the Saul of Tarsus, Paul. What's wrong with the rest of us? They don't recognize Paul. Satan sure enough does. What's wrong with the rest of the crowd? Satan's no dummy. You look at mankind, you look at the denominations out there that reject Paul as their apostle. What's going on there? They didn't get it. Why? Satan's blinded the minds. Kept them blinded. By the way, their laying in wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night, the killing they're not going to throw him in jail. They want to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in the basket. Verse 29, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Come over to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands and vexed certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Isn't that interesting? Persecuting still Peter and shutting down that crowd. Let's shut them down. Come on over to chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are sent on their way. Chapter 13, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by of Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So much, verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. <laughs> they shook off the dust and off they went. Now the Jews are doing what over here? Paul's going, they're rallying the troops, stirring the pot, the persecution. When that stuff's going on, you know what you can't really do very well? Minister. It hinders it. It's, it. It slows it down. Because if I can get done here, then I can go here, and I can here, and I can do that. Come over to oh, chapter 14. Were we just there? 14. He goes into Lystra and Derby. Verse 1, he's in, in, he's in Iconium. And it came to pass in Iconium that when they were both together in the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake 
that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. You know, you'd think that people would be excited that they were believing. But notice very carefully verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. What kind of unbelieving? Because you know what's going to happen in chapter 15? That crowd, that unbelieving Jew crowd is going to come in there and Paul in Galatians 2 calls them heathen. They're the heathen now. They're uncircumcised in their hearts and ears. They're the unbelievers. Chapter 14, if you drop down to verse 19, and there came thither certain Jews of, and An, from Antioch and Iconium and who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him outside of the city, supposing he had been dead. They kill him. They tr think they killed him. Come into chapter 15, verse 1. And a certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now the attack shifts from the physical onslaught to a spiritual onslaught of the doctrine being taught. You go read Galatians 2, and he says, We didn't give them an hour to argue about this. We shut them down at the word go. We didn't give them a chance to argue their point. We know their point. Their point's wrong. God's not doing that anymore. You know what they said? You got to work to be saved and you got to work to stay saved. You got to work under Moses. You got to keep the law so we can see that you are saved. And Paul shut them down. So now it's an attack on the gospel, on the message. Chapter 16. Do you, you get the flow here? What's going on? Chapter 16, verse 19, 16, 19. <clears throat> And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and threw them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Now we got a little political ploy go. Why? Because you're messing now with the money bag, with our income. And they throw them in there, but guess what comes out of that? The Philippian jailer in the church at Philippi is established. You come over to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 5. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. They went and got the mob, a little mob action now. We're going to get a little, we're going to, get, we're going to show them who's boss. Then when that couldn't happen... They, they assaulted the house of Jason. And when that didn't get it, then they took them in front of uh, the magistrates and they get a peace bond out of them to shut them up, to shut them down. Come over to chapter 19. I, folks, this is all... You know what? When God changed the program from Israel, the nation of Israel, the little flock, the believing remnant activity into that kingdom, and he moves over here to Paul and the church, the body of Christ, and the dispensation of grace, Satan doesn't waste time. He instantly moves from hindering this message to hindering that message. <clears throat> and when Paul... I mean, you check chapter 19. We're not going to do this all because of the time. You can go into nine, chapter 19, chapter 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. In every chapter, come back to Romans 1. Actually, go to 2 Corinthians 11. In every chapter in Acts, Paul is getting nailed, whether it's a physical onslaught or it's something to do with the doctrine, and it's all to shut him up. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we have this ministry and we faint not. Because Paul understood what? 
He understood that that word works effectually in you that believe. And that I've got a better hope out there than what's going on right now. When he looks at those Philippians and he says, I'm in between the twigs, between a rock and a hard place. You need me to stay, but I'd rather go home. He's, not, he's looking at this going, hey, I know, this, I know the doctrine. And I'm not worried about what comes my way, and we're going to get on with it. But the Romans didn't understand that. So he says, hey, guys, you need to understand, I've been trying to get to you, but every chance I thought I was going to get away, something come up and hit me. And the hindrance to the message, the hindrance to the spread of the message of grace is not something that just, and by the way, in Paul's case, it is Satan himself doing it. Because Satan is dealing directly with the situation. you got 2 Corinthians 11, right? I hope you do. <laughs> okay? But for you and I, Satan can't be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. But rather he uses the course of this world, he calls it. That's religion. 2 Corinthians 11, if you look at verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his, if his what? Ministers. He's, he uses men today. He uses religion today. He uses denominations today to do his bidding, to do his work. Because he can't be everywhere. But when it was just Paul... He was standing right there dealing with him. That's why when Paul would make that, hold on to 2 Corinthians 11, over there in 2 Timothy 4, when Paul says in verse 17, the end of that verse, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Who's the lion? Seeking to whom he may devour. That's Satan. 2 Corinthians, that was 2 Timothy 4, 17, the end of that verse. Paul knows who's standing in front of him. Paul understood that. Now, you and I, he's not, you know, somebody one time said, if the devil came in here, I'd jump down there and tie a, tie a knot in his tail, baloney. If the devil showed up in here, you'd fall out dead. You'd faint. You can get down there and tie a t knot in the devil's tail. By the way, he doesn't have a tail. Okay? No, that, that's all folklore. It'll get you to scare you. Go back to 2 Corinthians 11. You take your mind, your eyes, your mind's eye, start in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. This is all sarcasm, by the way, because there's a group of people that Paul have popped up to withstand Paul. Paul says they are the ministers, and they're gonna be, their end will be according to their own works, verse 15. And then he just starts in verse 23, 24, 25, all the way down to 28. Verse 28 there, listing of all the things that he's gone through. 2 Corinthians 11, 22 to 28. All of those things. He crawls into Corinth after a shipwreck, naked as a jailbird. Just no clothes. And you know what? No one there to lend him a hand. Church at Corinth, go away. We don't want you. You're weak. You're, we don't want to look at you. Your, your, your letters are powerful and weighty. Your speech is contemptible. 
We don't want you. We want Apollos. We want some over here. He says, hey, I, I mean, dude, I just, <laughs> a shipwreck, a night and a day, I have been in the deep. Floating out there, hanging on to pieces of the ship, hoping not to be run over by, or eaten or whatever, you know. The, the monster in the Mediterranean, the dragon, Leviathan, there you go. You see, folks, when Paul gets into this, the moment that God changed the program, Satan changed his attack mode too. He didn't wait and go, hang on, let's see what happens. He knew instantly. If you come over to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, and this issue of persecution and this issue of being under some attack, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 and 30 is great insight for you and I. Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflicts which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Right from the very beginning, that's Acts 16, he tells these guys, you believe this, you're going to suffer, you're going to take it in the neck. And here's the hope to get you through. You come back there to Romans 8, we'll get over in Romans 8, we'll spend a lot of time looking at this passage, <coughs> or sometime, Romans 8, 18. Here's the attitude, here's the thought process that you're to have in the suffering. Romans 8, 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know why? Because verse 24, for we are saved by hope. That saved by there isn't justification because that's already done. The saved by is in the suffering of the present time. The saved there is being part of this, this cre creation that's been cursed. And it's going to mourn and groan and travail. And he says, hey, we hope. We're saved by hope, but hope which that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not... Then do we with patience wait for it. Boy, what a wonderful foundational doctrine to get you through. That's why I said, our, you fall down on your face and beg God to heal you, that's a far better situation right there. Because where is our healing? Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The resurrection of that new body we get. Change this old vile thing. And, boy, that is so, because why? Because in the moment, my strength, my grace is sufficient. For my strength, is aren't we after his strength and his power? So that's a far better thing. Now, is there anything, go back to Romans 1. Is there anything wrong with praying for someone to be healed? No, just expect the answer to be no. Expect the answer to be what, what and he hath said unto me. And what did he say unto me? I'm not doing that program, I'm doing this program. So you need to come over here and get it where I'm at. You follow that? All right. Chapter 1. We got Romans 1, verse 10. I'm going to get one verse again today. Making request, if by any means not at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. I wanted to come to you, but it just wasn't working out. 
Every time I turned around, some things came, in, came up. The, the notice, the prosperous journey, he puts on there, by the will of God. Okay? And I, I look at that, and I read that, and I, I, I hear what everybody says about it, and I think what, <laughs> I, I think what everybody says about it is wrong. Okay? When he says, a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He's very specific here. When he talks about prospering, he, he, look over with me at 2 Corinthians um, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I think this is the idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. Here's the idea, I think. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to, to what? Rejoice having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. When he goes to see the Corinthians, what does he want to have? He wants to have a, he wants to be, have a prosperous time, doesn't he? A joyful time. A time of great rejoice, fellowship, one anothering. When he says here in 110, a prosperous journey by the will of God, what does he want to do when he gets to Rome? He wants to have a good time, doesn't he? He wants to have a wonderful time of fellowship. But when he got, how did he get to Rome? Okay. See, come back to the end of Acts, Acts 27. We didn't read this a minute ago because trying to move on. So when he talks here about having a, a prosperous journey, it's not even a safe journey because he's been shipwrecked two or three times. He understands he, because it's by the will of God. Follow that. He adds that on to that. If you just said a prosperous journey, then you could say, okay, he's talking about a safe journey. I don't think he's talking about a safe journey because he's had other journeys that weren't safe. So then why, did God, why was he praying for God to keep him safe on this journey and not the other ones? Okay? No, I want to come and have a good time with you guys. I want to come and have a time of refreshment. I want to come and, and have a joyful occasion. Have it be a good time of fellowship and study and just camaraderie, oneness with you. You follow, you follow that? Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus band, they entered into the ship, and we launched, and off we went. In 27.1, he's going to go to Rome, but how does he go to Rome? In chains, as a prisoner. He, he stood before uh, Felix. First he stood before the Sanhedrin. Then he stood before Felix. Then he stood before Festus and Agrippa. And then, now we're going to send you, because he appealed to Caesar, to go to Rome. Was Paul's journey to Rome, when you read that, a prosperous and safe journey? No. They shipwrecked. 
they show up on that little island of Melita over there, and he's got to, he, the, the snake comes jumping out, and he's got to take care of that. He's got to go over to the chief's house and heal that family. He's All this stuff going on. Come over to chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 16. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of their father, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. You see, he, he's not even let loose. He's still got that Roman guard chained to him. Could you imagine being that Roman guard? How many times you had heard the, the gospel? <laughs> How many times you had heard about the dispensation of grace? So in Romans 1, when he says, hey, I want to have a prosperous journey by the will of God. I want to come down there with you guys in a happy state and have a good time. And uh, that isn't how he got there. He Rather, he got there in a different way. He got there in chains, stocks and bonds, as they say. Okay. Now come back over to chapter 15, real quick, of Romans, and verse 32. 15.32. He says in verse 31, we read this a minute ago, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for the Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. That I may come unto you with what? Joy. By what? By the will of God. And may be, and, and may with you be, what? Refreshed. That's prosperous. Joy, refreshed, having a good time. Okay? Not, being, not on a safe journey, because when you look at their journey, it was not safe, as far as no peril. But rather, going and having a good time. Now I'll remind you, Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, the will of the Father has been made known. It's not secret. What's the will of the Father? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he's going to put it all back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth, the government, boom, it's done. We pay a part of that. We play a part in that. We're there. You go over to chapter 5 of, of Ephesians. You start in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So there's a will of the Father, will of God for the wives. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's a will of, of God for husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a will of the God for the children, 6.1. There's a will of God for the fathers in 6.4. Fathers, provoke not your children out, but bring them up in the admonition, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Chapter, chapter 6, um, verse 5, there's a... Will for the servants, that you do it unto, unto God, not unto men pleasers. Chapter 6, if you're a master, a boss, there's a will of the Father for you that you pay attention to things. You see, there's, there's will of God in, in every aspect of life. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So when he says prosperous journey by the will of God, it's that thing in 1532 there about coming with some joy and being refreshed and having a good time. He got to Rome not like he wanted to get there. 
That's the point. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you? Pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore, and give thanks. Three strikes and you're out. <laughs> or three, ball, three strikes and you hit a home run. I don't know, however you want to say it. Notice that. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Why? That's the will of God for you. What's the will of God for your life? Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, and sanctification and honor. You know what God's will for your life is that you have a clean life. You live a clean life. That's what he's talking about. So when you come back here to Romans 1, and you begin to look at this verse 10, we're not going to get any further than verse 11, verse 10 making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. I've been trying to get there, guys, and I want you to know it because when, when I was coming, I wanted to have a good time with you. Prosper, joy, refreshing, fellowship. But rather, I got there under lock and key, hooked to a Roman soldier. And it's really... When that when they when the church at Rome really kind of gets to go see him, he's in jail. At the end of Acts 28, he's in that hired house situation where they're able to come in and be with him. Okay, all right. We'll start in verse 11 uh, in two weeks. Next week I won't be here. We'll be in California for the Bible conference. Uh, uh, Nick and Joe will be here covering the morning. Okay, all right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son, and we'll give you the praise and the honor for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you back here.